Okay, we're live. Welcome to a really special edition of Sunrise Set. Uh, today we're commemorating both Ghost Ship and this is a special episode dedicated um, to an artist you may be familiar with um, who goes by the name Chirushi and um, We've got a couple of guests with us today who can speak a lot to Chelsea's legacy. So we've got Josie Rose Duncan with us, um, who is a dear friend, um, and also Maria Yud, a.k.a. Maria Minerva, who is a collaborator. So welcome to you both. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, excellent. So I would love to start with Josie, if you can just tell us a little bit about Chelsea's background, how you got to know her, um, and um, a little bit about her sort of artistic process from, you know, from a non-artist perspective? Sure. Um, So I knew Chelsea for 25 years. We actually met when we were in third grade um, because we were both weirdos. (laughs) And actually when we met, um, we did a lot of music stuff together and a lot of other creative projects from the beginning. I absolutely do not perform music anymore, but at the time um, I like to sing and we actually had a talent show act <laughs> where she would play piano and I would sing. And our um, one of our main uh, performances was the song Memory from the musical Cats. <laughs> we would go around to different talent shows uh, where we lived in Marin County and perform as a duo and Um, We also like to make little short films and build things and tell stories. And we were just sort of very artsy, weird kids. Um, We hit it off pretty much immediately when we met in third grade. And um, we stayed friends sort of off and on through different iterations of ourselves as we grew up and um, into adulthood. So... What was the other part of the question? Um, no, that's perfect. Um, so did did it surprise you at all to see her go in the direction she did with her music career? Not at all. Um, Chelsea, from before I met her, was a gifted musician. She basically could pick up from, child, from childhood any instrument that she wanted to and play it beautifully. Um, She was like amazingly gifted. I believe she started playing, maybe started teaching herself the piano when she was three years old. Um, By the time I met her in third grade, she was always playing for people and she was definitely um, just great at anything she did music wise. Um, She started playing the accordion. She played the guitar. I think the bass pretty much anything and was also always composing. Um, In high school, she was accepted to the San Francisco Conservatory of Music and she um, was being classically trained there for a while until she left um, as a teenager. So when she got into uh, making electronic music, it, it didn't surprise me at all. I couldn't see her doing anything else in her life other than music and having her whole life be focused around music because that's just who she always was. So do you know, um, and this might be a question for both of you, uh, if there were particular music influences in electronic music that drew her sort of out of the, you know, the the classical training that she had and into the more electronic arena? Um, I remember when she started 
kind of going to raves when she was uh, toward the end of high school. Um, but I'm not sure. Maybe you can speak more to I'm if just, she had any. I'm listening to what you're saying. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I always remember her saying that she got into going to raves as a teenager. Um, and she also started organizing raves herself. Mm-hmm. Herself. I don't know like the names of things that she was listening to specifically at a time. But I would assume it was... Uh, same stuff, you know, that we still love, house techno, but at the time, even maybe like some drum and bass or jungle-y stuff, because she loved all genres of electronic music. That's one thing I know for sure. And the interesting thing with the artists from that era is that we don't really often know uh, their names. There were like breakout stars like that became mainstream, but all the coolest tracks or like no one knows like artists uh, who made jungle. Maybe you can name like a few, but... They prefer to stay anonymous, and I would—I think she loved that too about the culture. Yeah. That's yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm from the Bay Area also, and I—I I really regret not knowing the names of the artists that I would go see all the time religiously. Um, do you, so for sure then, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking, you know, kind of early 2000s, right? For that scene, yeah, maybe even late 90s, like because I—I think I remember she was working. I remember she was working at Tower Records. I want to say this is senior year of high school. So for us, yeah, like to the year 2000, probably. Um, and she met a boy. And that's who the boyfriend at the time is, who kind of, I think, introduced her to the rave scene. And they started going to raves together and eventually, yeah, throwing throwing parties and organizing things. Um, so that was, yeah, like the very, very beginning of the 2000s. Okay. Yeah. And I, it, I'm sorry to interrupt, but definitely the boyfriend influence. And I, mm-hmm. I hate that because she, you know, it's like, that actually happened to me too. I was introduced that kind of music by my older boyfriend. So I feel like maybe we were similar in that respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, she kind of, you know, outgrew that initial influence quickly and you know started to find her own things that she loved but there's always someone who has to guide you in my case it was my dad and my first boyfriend and I think for her too it was multiple things including someone important in her life at that time so you experienced this personally right and I'm sure Chelsea did too there there is a thing about the gender dynamics in the music scene in the rave scene in both organizing and producing right um did she ever talk about sort of her experiences being um one of the few women behind the scenes for a lot of it oh yeah all the time I mean she would complain and give me names and I'm not gonna name names but she was not happy um with the way she was treated by uh promoters and some other peers of her in San Francisco up until, you know, the day she passed. She she always had a bit of a, she was not bitter, but she would not uh, not talk about it in the sense that she didn't want to pretend like it was not happening, if you know what I mean. And uh, she wasn't self-pitying at all, but she never stopped to point out that this is still happening and men are still kind of... Uh, ignoring her sometimes underpaying and just sort of saying like you should just be happy to have this opportunity to DJ here even though you're getting a crappy time slot and a smaller fee than like someone with eight years less experience than you so yeah definitely a thing absolutely that's really really frustrating yeah yeah and it's it's funny because I feel like now would have been such a moment for her because music festival 
curators and lineups are getting called out for the lack of women and women producers are actually talking about how they are being treated and even talking about money because in America there's this huge taboo around like t- telling how much you make and people are coming out and like starting to actually point out the facts and I think she would have benefited from this little shift in the electronic music scene hugely yeah that's the sense that I get is when she's remembered I feel like people keep sort of bringing up the ways that she was like ahead ahead of her time even if just by a couple of years it seems like that's just a, a thread I keep hearing from so many people that she influenced right everybody keeps wondering you know how she would be on the front lines of all the things that are happening in this moment right yeah I mean I feel like I don't know at least from my perspective um one 2016 was such a turning point year for her prior to the fire Um, I feel like she was finally like she had caught like her groove a little bit and was like seeing a little bit more, a little more momentum and a little more attention that she deserved. And things were kind of starting to happen, um, which is just, you know, awful. Um, But it was kind of like you could see something building. Um, And yeah, it just makes you wonder where she would be now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do either of you happen to know what her inspirations were, her muses, the things that, you know, inspired her, got got her thinking about how to compose, right? What she was going to do next. Do you want to take this one? I mean, oh, I'll let you. Because <laughs> I don't know, like, the earlier uh, childhood and teenage influences that well. But in terms of electronic music, you mean, like, specific artists and things like that or like like I know some people you know they'll you know right now we're in a rainy LA day right and Mm -hmm. they'll look to the sky and really feel something from that some people will you know might meditate on it some people it's like going to a bunch of shows and hearing some things that you know that just kind of click for them I you know so I don't know what what Mm -hmm. if you know what her process was I think she was a huge like a music history nerd and a lot of people get into making music without really maybe at first acknowledging the plethora of information and uh, stuff that's already out there waiting f- for you since the, I don't know, 50s and 60s onwards when electronic music was first born. So she was not like that. She knew her history and was quite manic about it. And uh, she also hosted a show on what's the station? K- KLX. KLX, the yeah. local Berkeley radio station that... Uh, was so awesome because she would literally just focus on a genre and like methodically talk about the emergence of a specific genre and producers in that field. And you could see how much she enjoyed just digging through the archives. And that's something I would also really relate to because that's how I got heavily into electronic music was just illegally downloading catalogs and catalogs worth of stuff on Soulseek and I feel like that's something we had in common and these like endless burned series of tracks and like when it was harder to access music you had to make an effort to get your collection going so I feel like we both did that uh, she always paid homage to the pioneers of electronic music uh, we had a huge mutual admiration for uh, Georgia Moroder who's you know the godfather of disco and house music basically um I would think in her case also gear and technology because sometimes I'm bad at that because I'm not like her. I can't really play any instruments and I'm kind of a dum-dum like when it comes to many things like that. But she literally would know how to use any piece of equipment and maybe sometimes 
I do know that that when you get a new instrument, the instrument like opens up something in itself that you didn't know, uh, and it will guide you and take you there. And she had a massive interest in gear. Every time she played live, she brought like two suitcases, literally like 80 pounds worth of equipment. <laughs> so I would think that these uh, opportunities presented by a specific piece of gear would also inspire her a lot. And it's really fun. Yeah, um, I guess just like going or going back even a little bit, um, I think that, you know, she started off, she was always a multi-instrumentalist and she was, you know, like I said, so gifted. She was able to pick up any instrument and play it, just like any gear she touched, she could use. And I think that um, instruments like the piano and the guitar were limiting to her. Um, and I think that's part of what brought her to electronic music is she could create like an entire multi-instrumental composition essentially um from her from her head you know from her heart and um on her own uh as opposed to you know I remember when we were in high school well actually (laughs) we used to sing and kind of do piano stuff but then in high school she decided she wanted to do um start writing some songs and she actually recorded some songs um with guitar uh with my dad and um, that she wrote and they were just like a singer songwriter thing. And it's like, you know, I felt like she was kind of always searching for how she can create like the compositions that she really wants to hear. And like, that's what also led her to electronic music is, you know, it's, it's, it's fuller. It's not as limiting as just playing one instrument at a time. And you can really hear that like, uh, her only full length album called Memory of Water from 20, what is it, 15? Uh, has so many different influences. At times it sounds like techno or like Ifix Twin. Then you can hear this like Japanese influence and it's kind of bare bones, almost ambient sounding. So with the gear that she was using, you can kind of incorporate all these different influences into a track. And she was so good at it. Yeah, I love that, especially the Japanese influence and like, uh, her artist's name is also her name in Japanese, basically. So you could really hear all those things in that album that I still listen to this day. And I think it's just like one of the better albums of electronic music of the 2000 and how do you say the teens? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The 20 teens. Whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Josie, you know a little bit about sort of the, the birth of her um, stage name, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know much more about it other than, um, so she always had like an interest in, in Japan. And when we were kids, I don't remember how this happened. It was like, she somehow like acquired a bunch of pen pals in Japan. And I think it was literally like, this is the 90s. And I think it was literally like, an ad she placed in like a Japanese music magazine for like, Hey, who wants to be my pen pal? Um, I don't know. (laughs) And she ended up with a bunch of pen pals and a couple of them became like really great lifelong friends. Like one of them is, you know, was uh, one of her best friends up until, you know, the end and is someone I even keep in touch with to this day. Um, But so she, this woman or this girl at the time invited her to visit her family in Japan and so she went to it's Japan so 90s, <laughs> it's so 90s so she went to Japan um as like a young teenager to visit this girl's family um who was one of her Japanese pen pals and 
I don't know exactly how this happened, but I think it was like uh, Chirushi is a transliteration of Chelsea in Japanese. Is it how or, they pronounce it? Yeah. They can't pronounce Chelsea. Yeah. So it sounds close enough. I think. <laughs> the funny thing with the name is I'm always kind of this. Uh, I would. I was trying to be the devil on her shoulder. I was like, Chirushi is like so dorky. Like no one understands what it means. Like you should just go by your real name, which is Chelsea Faith, which I thought was such a good name for electronic music producer. Because you have these, uh, you know, there are like other female artists there with like very strong names that are a combination of their like first name and like a made up last name, myself included. But then in her case, like she had like Faith as her last name. So I was like, you have to use it. She was like, no, I like Shibushi. That's like my identity. And that's like the name I chose. And it kind of takes me back to that time when everything was so new and innocent and the world was opening up. And I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. But I still think that Chelsea Faith sounds so good. And she used Sea Faith, I think, as a teenager when she was a raver. And that sounds like so ravery. But I was like, you just have to use Chelsea Faith because that sounds <laughs> so good. But she was always like, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that. I that's so it. Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> that, that interaction you just <laughs> described is so I like, classic like, the Chelsea. Group, but she was doing care about that. Oh, uh, yeah. That's so great. Um, So um, I know a lot of her work has been coming out lately, right? And we're in a really just vibrant moment for her work and particularly your collaboration, Maria, with her. Would you mind talking a little bit about the the music that's coming out right now? Yeah. When is this airing? What's the show? Um, <laughs> soon. <laughs> so, so I can uh, say it came out or it's going to come out? I think we can say it is, uh, it'll probably be out in like a week. So it's. So I can say it just came out? Yeah, it just came it's, out. It's basically out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we can start over. Uh, yeah, the collaboration is just self-titled. Uh, Cherusha and Maria Minerva uh, just came out on 100% Silk on February 15th. Seven tracks, one is a remix, but all the other six tracks are um, the collaboration tracks that we were working on before the fire. And wow, that was such a process. I don't even know how to untangle. I've been talking about it a lot because I've been you know, promoting the release. And the reception has been so great, which makes me really happy. And I think she'd be pleased too. Um, but yeah, it took two years to finish those. Um, some drama definitely happened in the meantime. Um, I was in LA and all her files and everything was in San Francisco. So, you know, first of all, I had to figure out how to access her archives and figure out, you know, where's everything. I needed to enlist some of her friends for that. Also people dealing with their own loss and their own problems. So that was complicated. And then the record label, 100% Silk, they got involved in in some legal, uh, let's use the word drama following the, the fire. They were successfully cleared and they don't hold any liability or accountability in the event anymore. But that was not always the case. So for a while, I just was not sure, like, who's going to put this out? Is the label even going to have the resources? Like, you know, real talk, will they have the money to put this out once they are done with the legal fees? Uh, Are we going to be able to finish these files? Because some of the things I needed help with and so... Miraculously, but also unsurprisingly, a lot of people offered help. So uh, David Last, who's Chelsea's partner and friend, um, came through, helped with some uh, instructional changes and mixing stuff. Uh, Then Brian Foote from the label Cranky 
uh, same thing helped with mixing and editing and then my friend Adam Gunther helped to record all the vocals because the vocals were basically all laid out but we needed to do like clean takes that was a major part of the process that we had not gotten to yet so all these men had to help because at first the you know idea was for us just to make record together like a girl power type of thing like a you know I, I just love the idea of uh two women making this music together because usually you have a female vocalist and the producer is a guy but not in this case but in the end unfortunately I had to get all these men to help but I'm super grateful because they took the time and did it for free obviously and so I think the result's amazing yeah that's great and those are all people who had deep connections to Chelsea actually no I mean David Last is an exception because uh, he was you know an ex-boyfriend of Chelsea's but all the other people David uh, sorry Brian and Adam they didn't even know her, which I thought was so awesome. It's, I guess, her legacy and everything just spoke to them too. And they, they knew they just had to step in and there was, they never asked any questions about it. They were like, yeah, of course we're going to help. And, um, yeah, I feel like they know her now. I mean, they spent so many hours with our music. So, so many people came together. I mean, I'm sure you experienced that too. And people became friends, like Josie and I. We didn't know each other before. Yeah. I just always knew Josie as like Chelsea's number one bestie. Because <laughs> I was Chelsea's like creative number one bestie, mm-hmm. I would say. But Josie was like the bestie bestie. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we met, met not under these circumstances. Yeah. But I think our meeting was also overdue. So, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh yeah, I think about that a lot, actually. Um, in a lot of ways, I felt like I wasn't part of Chelsea's, like, musical world at all because I knew her. I mean, she was my childhood best friend. Like, we had more of, like, a sister, like, familial-type relationship. Um, and I certainly, like, loved seeing her play, and I always liked hearing about her tours. And I heard a lot about you, and she adored you. Yeah, vice versa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, she really felt like she'd found a kindred spirit and like a musical soulmate in you. And, um, but I, I, you know, I wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't meet Maria until uh, her memorial. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. But yeah, we were in different cities too. And and there are a lot of explanations, but I feel like I already know you. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there was a lot of people like that, that I feel like I heard about, or I don't know, were sort of like, I was aware of, and they were part of her stories. And then all of a sudden everyone was there. Um, a lot of people I met for the first time at her memorial and have continued to keep in touch with in some way. I'm sure you've had a similar experience. Oh yeah. 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 That was a crazy night. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to talk about it, but it was just a very specific type of memorial there was a more formal part at public works which is a big club in san francisco but then the after party everyone was you know basically crying the whole time but also we did karaoke because that was josie's favorite thing uh everyone got wasted it was like (laughs) a very interesting event and i think about it a lot and everyone was so emotional you know some not fights but arguments broke out because i i got into a few arguments everyone's just like on such high emotional wavelength uh, and it was one of the most unique memorial events or just events that I've ever been to in my whole life. It definitely made an impression. And all the friend, like all the friends of hers that I met that night, it changed my life for sure. Yeah. yeah. When was the memorial relative to the fire? Um, we held it Seriously? pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, December 17th. So it was just like literally two weeks later. Um, and 
yeah, I don't know. That was a great, I mean, trying to help plan that was like one of the most difficult, insane experiences of my entire life. Um, just cause like we're in this state of shock still and trying to plan this huge event. And like, as you said, and it was huge, huge. Yeah. I think yeah. three or, or 400 people came to public. Work. Well, yeah. the level of impact from, yeah. I mean, like, Chelsea touched so many people, but yeah. Ghost Ship also, it just resonated all over the world, right? It was yeah. it was the catastrophe waiting to happen that everybody was, you know, just sort of holding their breath, hoping that it wouldn't, right? right? Um, and it, I mean, it just said so much about, like, California and, you know, Oakland, Berkeley in particular, and housing crises and artist exploitation, all of these things, right? So it was, it, it was catalytic in so many ways yeah. right um i can't even imagine like in the shadow of all of that in the haze of the smoke of all of that yeah to be putting that together it sounds amazing and brutal at the and same you guys time. did a great job i don't have much to do with the logistics of the event but yeah it was huge fact we made the local news yeah Chelsea's face and name were just all over the place which i thought was amazing amazing yeah, yeah i was um yeah i her, her her mother and her family were very, like, receptive to the idea of, like, you know, oh, the news is here, can they come in? And she was like, yes, you know, because I think... So it was cool, because I think it's, like, it's been... Um, I, I think it sounds really corny and cliche, but I think it's what Chelsea would have wanted is like, you know, to keep her alive in this way and her memory and to talk about her music and who she was. And yeah, the memorial really was all those things. There's so many people came together to help out, including public works. Like they gave us that space for free and helped us sort of coordinate everything. And we're very like patient and cool with everyone being like, extremely heightened emotional state and um yeah there was a lot of just everyone a lot of people offered um their help their services like their skills to put it together and it was kind of amazing I mean and the speeches a lot of people gave speeches and yeah. the speeches did not stop and the one funny yeah. thing for me was all Chelsea's ex-boyfriends got up there and like <laughs> cried their hearts out and like said the nicest yep. things and I'm like girl like you're a player <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> I just thought like it was very heartwarming. Oh yeah. That part of it. all the all the expressions came together. <laughs> they, they really did. It actually did. Yeah. <laughs> so, like that. Th- there's yeah, there was it's, it was a very maybe one of the craziest days of my whole life. The whole month was crazy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So to have kind of put that in the past now and finally having wrapped up the record um I, there were times when I thought like am I really dropping the ball I just didn't want to do that and so um I feel like we did good and the songs sound good that's the most important thing <laughs> so tell us about the album um it was it like never obviously intended to be a swan song or the final release and there was never any major uh, highbrow concept behind it the idea was to have fun and like make dance tracks and kind of uh, make good music. Um, They're all songs, you know, with like verses and choruses, which uh, is my doing because Chelsea was more of a track person. She made tracks, Uh, but I just took her tracks and turned them into songs. 
and it was really cool to work with her. There was a phase when I was very interested in just bare bones, like songwriting. And I, I too make experimental music, but I've, I've always been a song person. And so I had these demos uh, that basically just had like a melody line and a, a crappy bass and like a rhythm machine under them, like literally like four tracks all together. And I sent those extremely bare bone demos to her and she would get back to me like 72 hours later with this like full blown cranked out production. She had turned this skeletal demo into this like amazing production with like effects. Like in some songs you hear like weird like Balearic birds or saxophone or like random things that she, that are like so cheesy, but she used them so well. And yeah, I was, I could see this like demo of mine come to life and I had never experienced that before. I thought it was amazing. The ideal would have been, and we talked about that too, would have been like to produce for other people. So like I write the song, she produces the track, makes it perfect. And then like some amazing vocalist comes in and sings it. Unfortunately, that ended up being myself. And I think they sound good, like as is, but we had these weird like pop, fantasies of like songwriter stardom or producer duo stardom and we were we would talk about that sometimes like wouldn't that be awesome to just like make a song for selena gomez or something <laughs> and like step out and then other tracks she just had stuff in her drawers that she didn't know what to do with and she sent those to me and i got back to her in like two days and i was like i just randomly blurted out these lyrics and those were the, these songs. This must be the place was like that. Um, the Nobody's Fool, which was an older track of hers that I always love. And we actually performed that together at Folsom Street Fair. Um, so it was extremely equal. Like everything was like 50-50, which I also loved. And no one was dominating and we just could read each other's minds. And she was very good at giving compliments. Like I thought I came up with this catchy hook and I sent it to her. And she just was like, oh, like this thing that you did is so catchy. And I was like, thank you. Like she always noticed and we were like on the same wavelength. So that's that. It's such a good dynamic. It's a great, it's a great album. It's impossible to find that dynamic. (laughs) I haven't, I don't think I'll ever find it again like that, you know, huge loss for me creatively Mm -hmm. too, not just personally. But um, yeah, there's always like, sometimes I make, music with others and I just sing or I just do my thing. But with her, it was just so enmeshed and so organic. Like every part of every track we kind of uh, decided on together. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that the album is out. Yeah, me too. So yeah. can you tell us where we can find the album? Uh, com and also Spotify, iTunes. I would love if people supported the, you know, label and actually bought it. You can, of course, stream it and stuff, but... Um, you know the the music will benefit Chelsea's family uh, and also the label that has been through so much so uh, yeah hopefully people will buy it because it's a really colorful awesome looking 12 inch gorgeous yeah excellent Um, any other thoughts from either of you about how best to keep Chelsea's legacy alive Um, I mean her she left us kind of an amazing gift in in the music that she left behind. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of us, um, you, you, especially Maria, but a lot of people, uh, who also collaborated with her or, you know, were musical, uh, colleagues and peers of hers. 
we've worked um, really hard to make sure that we're kind of like gathering and archiving all of her, all of her creations. Um, and I know a lot of people have worked to uh, make sure some of the music that wasn't released is released posthumously. Um, in addition, you know, to your collaboration, Maria, uh, she had uh, one of the, um, one of her ex bandmates, Eric, worked really hard to finish up an album um, for a, a band project that she was in um, called Easy Street. Um, and actually, Travis uh, was also lost in the ghost ship fire and they were in that band together. So there's that. And um, I know there's other stuff in the works as well um, with some of her solo projects, getting that stuff out there. And I just can't imagine any better way to keep her spirit alive and to honor her and her life's work and her memory and who she was than making sure um, all of her music gets out there in the world and people are listening to it and it gets in front of as many different ears as possible and is experienced the way she would have wanted it to be experienced. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. I echo, of course, everything you just said. And I think the music will always continue to be discovered because there are always these future 15 year olds like we were illegally downloading stuff and like being like, what is this? I, I hope her stuff will be, you know, always out there for people to find. Um, and secondly, yeah, she was never a whiner. She was always, you continue to make stuff. So I try to keep that in mind as I go through my life because I'm a big complainer and excuse finder and she was not. So that's one thing she taught me personally, like just stop whining and keep doing stuff and keep making stuff. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I think I just, I have no doubt that uh, people will continue to find the music. And there are some other solo tracks of hers that I don't know the status of because I couldn't project manage like all the aspects of her legacy, but I hope people will hear those as well. And um, my dad always says like, a person will be alive as long as the last person who remembers them is alive. So I think she'll be alive, you know, as for a long time still in our yeah. hearts. Cause I think about her every day. So it's, it's not even a, it, it's, it's almost, yeah, she's pretty like high up there with like my grandma who passed and like these very important people that will never leave your side till the day you yourself die. So maybe that's like a sad way to end, but I think it's a hopeful way. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I just wanted to add, like, I, I just wanted to reiterate what you were saying, I guess, about how, um, I think she's inspired a lot of a lot of people in not just, you know, musicians, but people in other creative fields and also just uh, people to kind of be um, honest uh, with themselves and like true to themselves and live their best life. And I don't know, it's just in addition to all of the art that she continues to inspire I think that um, just the way that she lived her life was inspiring to a lot of people that met her. That's certainly something that I've heard over and over again from people that I've met since she died um, is just how she, um, you know, she was such a unique person and that's inspired them to take chances in this way or that way. So I think she would be quite pleased to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> my, my hope for the record that we put out together 
is that all these songs are songs, but they're still tracks that you can DJ. And I hope DJs will find these tracks and make dance floors dance. So even if the people don't know what they're listening to, they'll be like, this is a good track. Like, I wish I could Shazam this right now. For example, right after the fire, one of the things that just made me feel so good was a friend of mine from Mexico City who's a DJ. Uh, she does these big, big, like, LGBT raves in Mexico City. And she just sent, like, a mobile video of her... DJing our song Thin Line to this like packed warehouse somewhere in Mexico City. And I was like, I love this. And Chelsea would love this. What's the artist's name just to give her a shout to? What's that? What's your artist friend's name in Mexico City? Uh, Uchi. So she's part of the, what it's called, Nafi Collective in Mexico City that's blowing up now and like a local tastemaker. And I was just like, thank you so much for sending me this clip because all these Mexican gay guys, they have no idea what the song is, but this is making me so happy. That's perfect. <laughs> I love it. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Um, well, is there a track that you would like to send us out on to close this episode? Um, I think we can play Thin Line because that's, I, maybe, I think maybe it's one of the best songs that I've ever made and we made it together. So um, I just love that one. But there are other gems on the EP. But yeah, Thin Line, it's um, featured on her 2015 album memory of water that i mentioned and we just had to include it on this ep that we just put out as well because it's like such a gem in my opinion perfect well thank you so much for joining us on sunrise set i'm your host t delphine and we've had josie and maria with us today for a chirushi memorial episode and this is thin line thank you thank you thank you Take on.